Welcome to the first installment of Coldcast, a podcast devoted to some of the great things happening in the Comstock Public Schools. I'm Jason Hall, Communications Specialist for the School District, and I'll be your host. We're just getting started here, but the plan is to go a little more in-depth into a story that you may have already heard a little bit about, and to give an opportunity for you to hear directly from the people involved. On this first installment of Coldcast, we're going to hear about Comstock STEM Academy's trip to the campus of Michigan State University for the State Science Olympiad competition. And a little later, we'll hear from Comstock Superintendent Jeff Tanis to learn a little more about the May 7th ballot proposal, which is asking voters in the district to weigh in on a one mil sinking fund. First up, we're going to hear from Cindy Bloom. She's been a teacher in the district since 1993, and if you're like me, your children have been through her social studies class and perhaps got their first glimpse of ancient civilizations of the world in her classroom. She was recently selected as one of 45 Grosvenor Teacher Fellows by the National Geographic Society. She and her fellow fellows will be setting out on expeditions all over the world in the coming weeks and months. They'll be helping with research and then sharing that research with their respective classrooms and communities. On May 7th, Mrs. Bloom embarks on a 15-day expedition aboard the National Geographic Explorer, that's the name of the ship, to help explore the British and Irish Isles. Well, I'm Cindy Bloom and I teach 7th grade at Comstock Middle School. And I've been selected this year as a Grosvenor Teacher Fellow. And the Grosvenor Teacher Fellow program is a partnership with National Geographic and Lindblad Expeditions. Um, it is a program that is open to National Geographic certified educators, so that's one of the prerequisites to be considered for this program. I submitted an application in sort of last fall, winter, and I was one of the lucky 45 that have been selected, um, and that includes the entire United States, Canada, and the Department of Defense schools all had the opportunity to apply. And you're the only representative from the entire state of Michigan. If For this I under- year, yes. If yeah. I understand things correctly. Yes. Which is yeah. kind of cool. Kind of cool. Yeah. And so um, in the application process, we looked at, they had a variety of expeditions that were open. And we chose our top four that went the best with what we do in the classroom. And so... For me, um, I will be traveling to the British and Irish Isles, which is amazing because I love natural diversity and ecosystems, and I do teach ancient world history. And so looking at the British Isles and talking thousands of years of human habitation and how humans have adapted to there geographically and all of the human impact, both in the British Isles and in the oceans around the outside of that. So it's like the perfect match for me. I leave May 7th um, and I will be returning to school probably somewhat bleary-eyed on May 24th, the day before Memorial Day weekend. While you're gone, you're teaching isn't going to end. No, I have a a guest teacher who will be taking over for my students while I'm gone, but she's going to have sort of an interesting, while my role um, as a Grosvenor Fellow is a hybrid when I'm on the expedition ship, I am both guest and I am staff. And so I will be having all the fun of a guest, but I will also maybe be hosting a dinner. I might be doing a daily expedition report. Okay, so I have a hybrid. You might be hauling up ropes. 
possibility, probably not, but you never know. Um, but my guest teacher will be doing my curriculum, which is at the, this point is the Roman Empire and the Byzantine Empire. And the Roman Empire, of course, went to went there. the British Isles. Yes, so, they did. So that could impact. Right. But the neat thing is, is that I will be sending daily expedition reports to my guest teacher who will be able to share them with the students. They will be able to, I'm, I'm hoping that I have a program called Google Tour Builder, which I will be uploading to every day where the students will be able to see what I'm doing, see pictures of me, see hopefully video of me, technology going well. Um, and so they will, I will be able to bring them vicariously along with me. So they, will, they are part of my experience. And right now I'm trying to prep them by having them sort of plot where I'm going to be going and getting a, a general understanding of the, of the civilizations and ecosystems that are there. And then they're going to ask questions and they will be able to follow me on the expedition. When you arrive at your various destinations, right? Because it's not like you're going to London for a week. Yeah. That's not what this is. It's mm -mm. not the, this kind of uh, a voyage. Um, but you have an idea of some of the places that you're going. Do you have an idea of some of the ongoing research that is happening there and what you may be able to glimpse in those times that you're there so that you can prepare students for, hey, heads up, uh, you know, on day four, I, I'm going to be here and hopefully these are the things that I'm going to find. Yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting because I, I will be prepping them mostly about ecosystems, to some extent civilizations, but most of what I'll be seeing in terms of, of civilization that's ancient history will be Iron Age, Stone Age fortifications. And so we've, we've talked about those. Um, I will be doing some prepping for them, but a lot of it is going to be me sort of seeing it and then we'll, I will share that with the kids and we'll talk about it some when I get back and have some bigger questions. One of the biggest questions is we think about where do people choose to live and why? And I tell the kids, you know, humans, we can be a somewhat lazy group. We want to live where the living's easy. We want good water. We want good soil. We want nice vegetation. We want the climate to be somewhat better than snow in April. Why in the world did somebody live on the west coast of Ireland where there are a few trees because the winds coming off the ocean are so strong. It'd be brutal. Yeah, and so those are the types of things when I provide sort of the raw data for them on the trip, then when I come back we'll talk about why did they do that? And I will have a chance to talk about that with naturalists and archaeologists on board the ship. So that's one of the things that I want to bring back and add to my lessons. Why people choose to live where they do. And so some of those reasons may be on the west coast mm -hmm. of Ireland, uh, the weather com sometimes is frightful, but there are fish in abundance. Mm -hmm. So is that is that a reason? Yeah, yeah why? It, it could be. It could be that. It could be while well, they were pushed out from other places. Um, it could be that was a good place for trade. So those are some of the things that I hope to to bring back to them as we talk about all of you know the the things from my trip. So you you, you have your two week expedition. You come mm -hmm. back here. You're going to share still with the uh, students from this year's class, mm -hmm. but if I understand things correctly, this, uh, this fellowship mm -hmm. doesn't end there. Mm -hmm. what, what happens beyond there? Well, what, what will happen, some of the things that as a fellow I will be doing is, is one, 
taking images and sharing those with National Geographic and my community. Two, doing something with my students that, that directly involves this expedition. But then beyond that, taking something that I learned in terms of exploration and molding it into a larger curriculum activity that I can do with my students and that I can share. And so if one of my, let's say another thing that I'm going to be looking at is the importance of archaeological sites. And as we as human beings expand our footprint, we may be trampling on some of these very old archaeological sites. Do we have a need to save these sites? And why? Why is it important to save a Stone Age or an Iron Age fort on the west coast of Ireland? Why is that an important thing? And so that's a really fun discussion to have with students, whether it's seventh grade or whatever grade, about the importance of these sites in our culture. And so that's an, an activity that I can then write up and we can talk about the importance of history and what part does it play and why is it neat to know that stuff. And so I will be developing that and that will go with my expedition. Of course, I will still have my tour builder that I can use whenever I want with kids to say, well, this was my expedition sort of last year and if you had been me, what questions would you have asked and can we find out those information, that information now? And my question would be, is there potential for, as you observe something, mm -hmm. uh, come back here, bring it to the students, they ask a question because mm -hmm. kids have an amazing way of uh, seeing things from a new perspective that, mm -hmm. that, that older folks like me may not be able to. Do you have the potential, do you think, to, uh, if this is an ongoing fellowship, mm -hmm. if next year there's going to be another 40 or 50 people who, who are invited to this. Mm -hmm. Do you have the potential for even some ongoing research? Hey, this is a question that we had based on your trip. Mm -hmm. Continue to investigate and, this and, next And that's year. a neat idea. And that's something that, that the possibility is, of course, there because every year there will be another group of fellows going. Um, I know the 45 of us, the 2019 class, met in Washington, D.C. Um, at National Geographic at a, at a pre-expedition conference with National Geographic and Lindblad Expeditions um, and sort of got to know each other and have talked about some cross-expedition things like um, a number of the folks are uh, science-based and they're doing water quality. And so we talked about, well, maybe when I'm around, and my, my shipmate, Abby Coons from Colorado, she and I are the, the two fellows going to the British and Irish Isles, um, what happens if we do some sampling where we're at and then somebody else does some sampling in Svalbard and somebody else does it in Antarctica and so we can get this sort of giant pool of data um, and we can go across time. We can work with previous fellows and future fellows to ask questions. So it's, it's building a network of educators which is really exciting. It sounds exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, enjoy, your, enjoy your expedition. Uh, I can't wait till you get back, and hopefully we can check in with you again and hear about your trip. Well, I love that, and I will be um, posting, like I said, there will be a variety of ways for people to follow along um, with daily expedition reports here at the Northeast Middle School and beyond. Comstock STEM Academy has a focus on science, technology, engineering, and math. It's right in the name of the school. 
For the past several years, students have been participating in the Science Olympiad. Over 7,800 middle schools and high schools around the country participate in competitions based on various scientific disciplines, including earth science, biology, chemistry, physics, and engineering. There are 23 events, and they change from year to year. Students have some idea about how to prepare, but there are unknown factors going into competition. STEM Academy students competed earlier this year at Western Michigan University for the regional tournament, and they did well enough to qualify for the state competition, which was held during the last week of April at Michigan State University. I spoke with two of the eighth graders on the team, Victoria Foote and Andrea Dixon, and the head coach of the Science Olympiad team, STEM Academy teacher, Mackenzie Skolsky. Um, we competed in 25 events. There were 23 scoring events, and there were two, uh, they call them trial events. Um, one was scrambler, aerial scrambler, so the students had to build two airplanes on the spot and see how they flew. And then another event was called source code, and so they were given a uh, Python uh, type coding system, and they had to create a game in within that system, and they didn't know what the game topic was until they showed up to that event. Um, so a little bit more of a mystery, but they should be on the regular season for next year, so it's kind of a honor and privilege to be able to practice those events a little bit earlier. Um, of our team, we had mostly 8th graders, a couple 7th graders, and a couple 6th uh, graders sprinkled in there. Um, we were stacked, meaning that we had all events filled. Um, there were a couple events where competitors went in by themselves. Um, one had to build a roller coaster and one had to build what's called a battery buggy. Um, and it was a self-propelled device that had to be able to um, go straight and stop at a certain distance. And again, they didn't know the distance until they showed up to, um, at the competition or at the event. Uh, all students competed well. When they came up with an obstacle, instead of um, choosing to panic, they chose to persevere and find a solution within that moment. Um, so that's what really blew me away was how students chose to persevere instead of panic and um, you know just stop or not try. Um, we had a couple of students going to an event that they had never even practiced before, but again, it's kind of good to have a practice before you go into the final event. So this was their opportunity to do that. Uh, Andrea, did you participate in the same events, different events? What was your best Tori event? Tori and I actually were not in any of the same events. Okay. We have never been, I don't believe. No, we haven't. Um, and I was in Boomalever, which is like a thing made of wood and it hangs over, like hangs off a wall and you have to see how much sand it can hold, but it has to be really light. So you have to get the perfect ratio, and it is hard to get the perfect ratio. And we placed first in that, actually, at the regional competition, which was great. And then my other two events are Write It, Do It, which is very, very fun. And then I did Rocks and Minerals, which would, not Rocks and Minerals, that was last year. Fossils, which is the one that went best, in my opinion. What did, what did, you, uh, what did you learn about fossils or what did or what did you have to tell people that you knew about fossils do you have to identify or uh yeah so there's this thing basically that all fossils are categorized in it's called a genus and you have to get a whole bunch of stuff and put it in a binder you have to take it into the events and you have to identify everything about some fossil or you have to like calculate how tall a dinosaur is based on the stride length of it which was really cool um and you had to basically just go by looking at it, and then you have to know how to navigate through your binder and everything, so you have to be really organized. 
And when you went in there, I'm guessing you didn't know what you were going to see. That they were going to have some sort of a fossil sample for you, and you'd have to, based on that, kind of start at square one and figure out what in the world this thing is. Yeah, pretty much. You had to go through the binder at least with your partner for at least half an hour before the event just so you guys can get everything in your head and you know where everything is you know what pretty much everything looks like so when you see something that's similar you can go to the exact page and then you at least have a 50 50 shot at guessing what it is okay. uh overall the experience uh again not everything that you'd expect uh in terms or not not the success that you had hoped for based on how you did at the regionals but but overall as an experience was it a good one? Did it did it teach you something? Did it is there something that you can use going forward? None of us had really ever seen anything like it before, so yeah. just getting to experience that and getting to see what it was like and probably motivating us to try harder like in years to come and trying to just make it better every year, trying to just improve. Yeah, improve. improve. Takes I mean, a lot of time. It does take a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. You have to work really hard and you have to do the homework that they give you. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to do very well <laughs> yeah. in anything and people really aren't going to want to be your partner for everything if you don't do your work and if you don't want to do better and if you don't push yourself to your full amount. Because this is all happening outside of class, right? Yes. I mean, there, yes. there may be a few things that get crossed over that you learn about in class but for the most yeah. part yeah. this is totally outside of class it's completely outside yeah i mean we have teacher coaches but most of our coaches are parents or volunteers volunteers so it's all like outside of school mostly i feel like we won i feel like we won even too. if we didn't place on anything i feel like we won enough because it was a, an experience and we got to do it as a team yeah and it, we made it which was we haven't yeah. made it in four years nobody's yeah. come close we came really close one year, but it was yeah. knowing that we could actually make it and be there, compete, and do that experience like, was great. Witness it happening before your eyes was amazing. And be part of that. Cool. Yeah. I think it's everyone's first experience going to a state-level competition is unique. Um, I think they looked for an expect, expected result, but then if, if you've never gone to a state competition, you're not sure the level of rigor, the level of competition, or just how much preparation maybe other teams put into this that they just weren't aware of. Um, and so you you look to your leader. So um, a lot of times during the, the ceremony, they would look back at me and they would say, Mrs. Skelsky, are you, are you still happy? And I said, of course I'm happy. We're here. We made it here. You all worked so hard to get to this point. Of course I'm happy with you. You worked hard. You practiced. We might not be the best in Michigan, but we did our best to get here, and we all did our events to the best of our ability. Um, and like I said before, the, the way that the students handled those little trials and tribulations throughout the day and the positivity that they had, you know, that's what made it for me. That's what made it impactful for me. Um, I don't really – the placement overall is not always most important at the end of the day. Comstock's six school buildings are all aging, and some of them have been aging for longer than others. The oldest goes back to 1949. 
In order to keep up with some of the problems that arise in keeping a 70-year-old building in working order, the Comstock Board of Education is asking Comstock residents to consider a proposal on the May 7th ballot. I spoke with Dr. Tanis, the superintendent of the Comstock Public Schools, to learn more about the sinking fund proposal being put before voters. I'm here with Dr. Tanis from the Comstock Public Schools to talk about the upcoming May 7th, 2019 uh, election ballot proposal for a, a one mil sinking fund. And my first question is uh, a sinking fund. What is this? Uh, a sinking fund under Michigan law is essentially a way for a district to raise funds that are designated for maintenance uh, of facilities. So essentially it's for repairing and upkeeping your, your buildings uh, in a nutshell. In 2016, voters in Comstock approved a, a bond ballot proposal, which we're seeing happening right now. The, the, the benefits of that, the fruits of that are happening now. What wasn't covered under that millage, that, that bond millage, um, that, that we need a sinking fund to cover? Um, that's a good question, and there's an important distinction between uh, a bond and a sinking fund. A bond raises a lot of money in a short period of time. So right now, for example, since you mentioned our bond, we have a $40 million bond, but we have to spend that, that money, in some cases, within two, three, four years of the building project beginning. Uh, so you're allowed to, with that money, build entire new buildings, which cost a lot of money, or repair substantially of the buildings that, that currently exist. A sinking fund raises smaller amounts of money, much smaller amounts of money, but for a longer period of time. Our proposal is a 10-year millage that would raise uh, about $500,000 a year over that, uh, each year over that time. So roughly about $5 million total where our bond was $40 million and we spend that within three, four, five years. So what are some of these projects, right? The, the, the bond millage that went through in 2016 uh, helped to improve the, the locker rooms at the high school um, and, and doing these secure entrances at, at all of the buildings. Um, if I'm understanding things correctly, the, the sinking fund is going to be covering kind of those, some of the littler things happening throughout the district that still are in need of repair. Correct. Uh, for example, uh, paving projects at all of our buildings. We would focus on putting in um, much-needed uh, paving projects. Uh, Green Meadow, we would designate for a new roof. The roof currently leaks in areas, and uh, we wouldn't allow, allow our home to leak and not, not fix it. We have also substantial flooring and carpeting needs uh, that we would target. Uh, we have our rooms that have carpeting that is uh, quite old and wrinkled and it's no longer staying flat because the glue beneath has given way. Uh, we also have um, older buildings, to be quite frank. I'm, I'm 56 and I'm about the age of our youngest building. So you can imagine what it was like uh, back when those uh, windows and doors, the technology and materials used are now quite obsolete and we'd like to put in new weather resistant double pane windows and, and thermodynamically uh, improved doors as well. And a key part of our, our program would be to also look at the surfaces of uh, North Elementary and our STEM Academy. That material is what's called EFIS, 
Uh, it's like a stucco sprayed on material and it's um, obsolete. So we would remove that and put on metal uh, panels that would look much more aesthetically appealing and also thermically dynamically much better. Okay. Um, what else do uh, do folks need to know about this uh, this May seventh election um, in terms of uh, how much is it going to cost a taxpayer? What impact is it going to have on on their wallets? Sure. Uh, that's, this is a homestead-only millage. That's what a sinking fund is. So it applies to homeowners only. So if you own or rent an apartment, you can still vote for it, but you actually aren't going to be contributing. Uh, but if you're a homeowner, uh, the one mill tenure proposal is about, for a $100,000 home, $50 a year, uh, which is about $4 a month. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, that's literally the dollars and cents of the proposal. Okay. And if I could add one more distinction or sure. important uh, note, uh, sinking funds may not be used, they're prohibited by law, may not be used for wage, salary, or benefit increases. It's literally for the infrastructure of the district. So we do encourage voters to take part on that May 7th election. Uh, polls are open from 7 a.m. until 8 p.m. And again, we do encourage you to go vote and share your mind with uh about the issue. All right. Well, uh, thanks for uh, letting us know uh, about this information. May 7th, uh, an election for Comstock Public Schools, a one mill sinking fund proposal on the ballot. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Well, that's it for this first edition of ColtCast. We'd love to hear what you think. You can share your feedback with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You'll find us all those places at Comstock PS. You can also let us know what you think on our website. Just go to ComstockPS.org slash district slash contact. Tell your friends you found us at ComstockPS.org slash news slash ColtCast. I'm Jason Hall, and I'll be back soon with another installment of ColtCast. ColtCast.